Well, good morning, and uh, what wonderful singing to uh, prepare us for the study of God's Word this morning. Let me say what a joy it is to be here. I love this church. I, uh, when I was here in Louisville for the eight years, I kept up with what was going on here, and uh, especially when uh, Bill Cook came to be your pastor, uh, I think it was a really great day when God brought him to Southern Seminary to teach New Testament and Greek, but I think it was a super day when he brought him to be the pastor of Ninth and O Baptist Church. And uh, so if I uh, did anything good during my time at Southern, uh, at least uh, those two things I can be uh, very proud of. Uh, I also would be remiss if I didn't also say this morning how honored I am to have my fellow in-laws, Steve and Teresa Bachman, who are sitting over here. Uh, they uh, gave my son Paul, his wife, and uh, they raised a wonderful, precious uh, godly girl, and uh, I just adore her like she's my own, and so I'm really honored that they're here. I love them and have such regard and such great respect for them as well. And again, congratulations on far exceeding your Great Commission goal. Uh, the Great Commission is the last words that the Lord Jesus left with us, and so we're never more faithful to him than when we are on mission with him, and I commend you for far exceeding that goal, and that also encourages me tremendously. This morning, we're going to be in the shortest book in the Bible, the book of 3 John. And it's a passage that I've actually given two titles. You have one of them there on the screen. Does your life bring praise to the name of Jesus? Which I think is a very appropriate title that does describe the content of this book. But another way we could look at this book is this. Are you with God or against God in fulfilling the Great Commission? Are you with God or are you against God in fulfilling the Great Commission? This morning, every one of you, as well as myself, came to this place of worship and we brought with us a very valuable possession. Now, it's interesting. This very valuable possession not only goes with us, it also goes where we don't go. Furthermore, what you think of this very valuable possession may not be what other people think about it. You say, what are you talking about, Danny? Your reputation. Uh, the estimation that people have of you as a person in terms of your integrity and in terms of your character. And, and, and brothers and sisters, friends, be certain of this. You do have a reputation. People watch you. People talk about you, usually behind your back, of course. And people do form, uh, form an opinion or an estimation of who you are as a person. Charles Spurgeon, the wonderful Baptist preacher in London, understood how important our reputation is to the cause of Christ and the advancement of the gospel. And here's what Spurgeon said, quote, The eagle-eyed world acts as a policeman for the church. It becomes a watchdog over the sheep, barking furiously as soon as one goes astray. Be careful. Be careful of your private lives, and I believe your public lives will be sure to be right. But remember, it is upon your public life that the verdict of the world will very much depend. Now, what I want to do this morning is walk through uh, this little book called 3 John, a very neglected book, but a book that has a powerful message both about our reputation but also about our joining hands with God and being involved in the Great Commission. And it's an easy book to outline because the book revolves around the lives of three men, two positive, one negative. The first man is a man named Gaius, and we meet him in verses 1 through 8. 
And I'm going to describe Gaius as a man with the right balance. And I'll show you in just a moment why I say that about him. Then secondly, we're going to meet a man by the name of Diotrephes in verse 9 and verse 10. And this is a man that I describe as one with a harmful agenda. And then there's a third man that we will meet in verses 11 and 12. Uh, His name is Demetrius. And Demetrius is easily described as a man with a good testimony. So Gaius, a man with the right balance. Diotrephes, a man with a harmful agenda. And Demetrius, a man with a good testimony. So let's jump in and look at verses 1 and 2 and note that one of the reasons that Gaius is a man with the right balance is he was a man who lived spiritually. Look at verse 1. The elder, probably simply a reference to the fact that by now John is an older man, an aged man. He, he, he's granddaddy, if you like. And so the elder, the old man, the aged man, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. The idea is I love you truly. Uh, I have genuine affection for you. You're very dear to me, and we'll see in just a moment one of the reasons why. And so the old man, John, writes to the beloved man, Gaius, one that he truly loves in a very sincere and authentic way. And then in verse 2, here's why I say he is a man who is living spiritually. John prays a one-verse prayer for him. Sometimes we need to be reminded our prayers do not have to be long to be heard by the Lord. In fact, the simple word help coming from an authentic heart, God hears and and God answers. And so John prays a one-verse prayer for Gaius, and here's the content of that prayer. Beloved, dear friend, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health. How? As it goes well with your soul. Uh, evidently, Gaius wasn't doing well physically. We will see in a moment that traveling missionaries had returned to John and had given them, uh, given John a report about Gaius. And so one of the things they said was he's not doing well physically. He's been having some difficulties with his health. And so John, in writing him, says, I'm, I'm praying for you. And I'm asking God to do something very simple but also very profound. I'm asking God to bless you physically to exactly the same degree that you're healthy spiritually. Now, imagine someone were to pray that prayer for you this morning. Would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Let's pick on me since it was my idea. If you were to pray this morning, dear Lord, bless Danny physically to the same degree that he is healthy spiritually, would that be a good thing or a bad thing? Would I be in great health, you know, standing up here looking mighty fit? Uh, Or might I be sick in bed? Uh, might I be nearly dead? I mean, what would be the, the answer there? By the way, just this is an aside, but just this last week uh, on Monday night when uh, tragically North Carolina lost the national championship to some school named uh, Vanilla, I know you're not Villanova, but lost that, that school, we had a basketball game at my seminary between the staff faculty and the students. And uh, let me quickly say, the students did not act godly at all. I did not pray for them except that God would curse them and cause them to fumble and stumble. I did pray for all of the faculty like me, and my prayer was very simple. Dear Lord, just don't let anybody get hurt. 
That, that was my prayer. Don't turn any ankles. Don't tear any ACLs. Don't have any back injuries, which I, I, I did play, by the way. Even at my 59-year mark, I did play for about four or five minutes. So how'd you do? God answered my prayer. No broken bones. No torn ACLs. I will confess to having a stiff back for four or five days. But, I mean, think about it. I haven't played basketball since I was 30 years old. That was 30 years ago. So I haven't moved side. I mean, what's this moving back and Even now, I need to hold it as I go back and forth. And I mean, my body was saying, what are you doing? You quit doing this stuff like 30 years ago, and you can't just kind of pick it back up anymore. So God did answer that prayer. Now, whether he answered this prayer for Gaius, I don't know, but I do know this. Gaius was a man who was so spiritually healthy that John could say, Lord, I pray that you'll bless him physically in exactly the same way. He was a man who lived spiritually. Secondly, he was a man who walked truthfully. Look at verse 3 and look at verse 4. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, a word, by the way, that occurs five times in 3 John, along with the word love that in some form occurs six times. So I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed, now here's the key, you are walking in the truth. And John is so concerned about that, he reinforces it basically in verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that, now mark this, my children are walking in the truth. They're walking in the gospel. Now, most likely, let me work backwards. The fact that he says, I rejoice that my children are walking in the truth is almost certainly an indication that John had led Gaius to faith in Christ. We don't know when, we don't know how, but sometime in the past, John had shared the gospel with Gaius. He had talked to him about his sin. He had talked to him about the perfect atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his glorious resurrection. He had talked to him about the fact that if we repent of our sin and we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God promises in his word, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And Gaius had committed his life to Christ. And so as a result of that, John had a special interest, as we've seen, a special affection for him. And so these traveling missionaries are out and about. They come across this man named Gaius. They go back as your church next week, this team returning from from Ethiopia will give a report to the church. So they came back, they gave a report to the church. And in particular, they told John, hey, we met this guy that you know named Gaius. And John's ears perked up, and John said, well, well, tell me about him. How's he doing? And they said, well, actually, physically, he's struggling a little bit, but I'm going to tell you what, what a godly man. What a Christ follower. In fact, we could just describe his life as someone who is walking in the truth. And so John says, nothing could bring me greater joy. And again, think about this with your own children. Nothing could bring a parent greater joy than to know or to hear that their children are walking in the truth. Now, that's an interesting phrase, walking in the truth. I thought truth is something you believe. John would say, well, it's that, but more. You see, truth is not only something we believe. Truth is actually something we live. In fact, an old North Carolina evangelist named Vance Havner, a very witty man, used to say this, and I think he's exactly right. What we live is what we really believe. Everything else is just so much religious talk. 
What we live is what we really believe, and everything else is just so much religious talk. Let me again talk to the parents. Do your kids see your words and your life match up? Do your children see what you say match up with how you live? Too many times in my life in seminary education, I've had students come to see me, tears running down their face, a forlorn look on their face, and they will say something like this to me. You know, uh, Brother Danny, I'm not sure my mom and dad are saved. And I will say, well, I guess then they don't go to church. And they'll say, no, my mom and dad go to church every Sunday. And they can really talk the talk. But what they say does not match up with how they live. And they wonder whether or not their parents are genuinely converted. And you see, that hurts us, by the way, in terms of rearing our children to love and walk with the Lord. Because if they see us saying one thing but living another way, they kind of think this whole Christian scene is just for a bunch of hypocrites. And they'll walk away. No. Truth is not only something that you believe. Truth is something that you live. So here's a man that is living spiritually. He's walking truthfully. And then thirdly, he is serving faithfully. Look at verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now here's the picture. John has sent out missionaries. They have come to cities throughout Asia Minor, most likely. In that day and time, hotels and motels did not hardly exist. And where they did exist, uh, they really were not very nice places to to stay. And so if you were traveling, you would look for either a, a friend or a family member to stay with. And so these traveling missionaries for Jesus sent by John have gone out. Somehow they came across Gaius. And when Gaius found out who they were, where they're from, what they were doing, even though they were strangers to him, he'd never met them before. He basically says, "My, my house is your house. My home is your home. And he invited them into, their, into his home and he, and he fed them. He, he gave them a place to sleep. As I'll show you in a moment, almost without any doubt, he gave them financial assistance. And so when they went back to report to John about their missionary travels and their missionary efforts, they give this report about this wonderful man named Gaius. And so John says, it's a good thing. It's a faithful thing you do in all of your efforts for these brothers, these missionaries, strangers as they are. I know you didn't know them, but they came back to the mothership and they testified to your love before the church. They told us how you loved them and served them and helped them. And so John it says to Gaius, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. If I could paraphrase that, he's basically saying, look, you just keep on doing what you're doing. You're serving the Lord in a magnificent way. You're honoring Christ. You're helping further the Great Commission. And so you just keep on doing what you're doing. He was a man who was serving faithfully. But then fourthly, he was also a man who was ministering generously. Look at verse 7 and verse 8. For they, these traveling missionaries, have gone out for the sake of the name. Now it's interesting, that's the only time in 3 John that there's a reference to the Lord Jesus. And here he is simply referred to as the name. And I love that because here's what we know. By the end of the first century, there were pockets of persecution, there were places of opposition, In some instances, you had to at least be a little careful in identifying 
who you were and who you followed. And so you may come into contact with someone somewhere and you would just simply say to them, well, I'm a follower of the way. Go back to the book of Acts. I'm a follower of the way. And they would know that you were a Christian, that you were a follower of Jesus. Or you might say is here, well, I'm a follower of the name. And they would know that you meant by that shorthand, you are a follower of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So they have gone out for the sake of the name, the sake of the Lord Jesus. And look at this. They accepted nothing from the Gentiles. Now, the word Gentiles, the Greek word ethne, we get our word ethnic from it, almost always refers to ethnicity. In fact, this is the only time I know of in the New Testament where I would argue that the word Gentiles, ethne, is not speaking in terms of ethnicity, but it is speaking rather in terms of spiritual status. In other words, what he is saying is they went out for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus and they did not accept anything, they did not ask for anything from the lost, here called the Gentiles. In other words, there were lots of traveling teachers in the first century that would go about and their their goal in life was to fleece the people of their money. And so to make sure that they did not think that, they went clearly overboard to make it certain we don't do what we do asking you for money no let me say it this way God's people will take care of God's work God's people will take care of God's work and so let me make it very personal again if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian we're so honored that you came today you you bless us and honor us by your presence thank you for coming and I hope that you're blessed and have been blessed by the music I hope that you're encouraged by the teaching from God's word. My prayer would be that this would be the greatest day of your life and that you would repent of your sin today and put your faith and trust in Jesus and be saved. Nothing would make us happier than for that to happen to you today. But let me also be very, very clear. We don't want your money. We're not asking you for money. We don't want your money. You don't really have anything you can give us but you. Now, we've got some wonderful things we can give you in terms of the gift of eternal life through the gospel and and many other things. But I understand, I know that year after year after year after year, when surveys are taken among lost people and they are asked this question, what do you think the church wants from you? Guess what the number one answer always is? Money. 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 And for some reason, we have poorly communicated to them the fact, we don't want your money. We don't need your money. God owns it all anyway. God's people will take care of God's work. Amen? Amen, Amen. absolutely. So we're just thankful that you would bless us by coming. So as they went out sharing the gospel, they were clear. We don't want your money. We don't need your money. We are simply going out for the sake of the name. And then verse 8, I said a moment ago that I thought that there, there was evidence that Gaius also helped them financially. Well, here's why. Therefore... We ought, there's a moral imperative to what he's about to say. We ought to support people like these, like these traveling missionaries. Why? Because when we do, we become fellow workers for the truth. Now think about this. You guys have collected over $100,000 for missions. Do you realize by doing that, now listen to me, by doing that this morning, all of you, have a part in doing evangelism and church planting in all 
50 states in America through the North American Mission Board. That's what you're doing. You realize that because you're giving to missions, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention is supported by this church. Do you realize that you're in virtually every country in the world today doing mission work? Now, let me tell you where I'm coming uh, from at this because sometimes I run the risk of, of overstating things to make a point and to challenge people. So I want to put this in proper perspective so that there's no guilt felt about what your role is in the assignment of serving and fulfilling the Great Commission. Now, listen to me. At my seminary, when new students come, I tell them very straightforwardly, there's a prayer I want you to pray while you're here. And that prayer is not, Lord, should I go? Which is a fine prayer, but that's not the prayer that I want them to pray. Rather, I want them to pray this prayer. Lord, why should I stay? Why should I stay? You say, well, why in the world would you encourage them to pray that prayer? Because today we know that there are more than 6,500 unreached people groups still in the world today, which constitutes somewhere between 2.5 and 3.5 billion people. You say, what's an unreached people group? That means they live in a place where they will be born, they will grow up, they will die, and they will go to hell, and they never heard even one time an accurate, clear presentation of the gospel that's an unreached people 3.5 billion most likely fall into that category that's half of the world's population let me make it more personal I live in North Carolina North Carolina has 4,000 Southern Baptist churches plus a thousand more other kind of Baptist churches and Christian churches and other evangelical churches and uh, e-free churches and so on 4,000 Southern Baptist churches. Do you know that today we think best estimate there's just under 4,000 evangelical believers in the country of Turkey with more than 70 million people? Think about that. There are more churches, Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches in North Carolina than there are believers in the entire country of Turkey. And so I challenge my students, and I would challenge you. Pray the prayer, not, Lord, should I go, but pray the prayer, Lord, why should I stay? Now, having said that, I want to be clear. God does not send most people to be career missionaries. He doesn't. Because if we all went, there'd be nobody back here to do the sending. And so I recognize that he doesn't send everybody. He doesn't even send most everybody. But I do know this. He calls all of his children to be involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. He calls all of his children to pray for the nations. And he calls all of his children to give to reach the nations. Question, was Gaius a Great Commission Christian? You better believe it. And yet there's no evidence at all that he ever went on an international mission trip. There's none. He just stayed home, prayed, gave, and supported those who went. And so the fact of the matter is, all of us can be involved and have our hands in reaching the nations with the gospel as we pray and as we give. And if God calls us to, then we go as well. And so Gaius was a man with the right balance. What a wonderful, great commission. Christian, would it not be awesome and great if the book stopped right there, but it doesn't. And now in verses 9 and 10, we meet 
what I call a spiritual scallywag, and his name is Diotrephes. And it is not by accident that we don't name any of our kids Diotrephes because if, if Gaius had the right balance, Diotrephes was a man with a harmful harmful agenda. Look at what it says about him in verse 9. John, I have written something to the church, probably a lost letter that was not inspired and therefore was not preserved. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, some translations say he loves to have the preeminence, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing. Well, what is he doing, John? He's talking wicked nonsense. Some translations have it. He is maliciously gossiping, and he's doing so against us. Furthermore, not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He has an anti-Great Commission agenda. He refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also stops those who wants to. And he puts them out of the church. Now, what can we say about this man named Diotrephes? Very quickly, four good things about Gaius, four not-so-good things about Diotrephes. First of all, he had a prideful, uh, he was driven by prideful ambition. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. I mentioned a moment ago, some translations have it, he loves to have the preeminence. Now, if you know your Bible... You know that over in Colossians, there's a wonderful hymn about the Lord Jesus Christ. And there in that wonderful hymn, in verse 18, I believe it is, Paul says to the Lord Jesus that in all things, what? He is to have the preeminence. The position in the church that rightly belongs only to Jesus, Diotrephes is aspiring to capture for himself. Bottom line, he loved himself and not others. He had a my way or the highway kind of agenda. He didn't have a kingdom agenda. He didn't have a great commission agenda. He was territorial. He was myopic. Uh, He was defensive. He was dishonest. Not only did he have a prideful ambition, he would also not submit to proper authority. He loves to put himself first. And the last phrase of verse 9, and he does not acknowledge our authority. He has no respect for me as the Apostle John. Now think about that. That, that, That's mind-boggling. That someone would actually say and think, we don't need anything that one of the apostles has to offer. We don't have anything from John that we need. Let me put it to you like this. It's a little fun. Imagine that uh, Pastor cook, Brother Bill, had arranged today with God by a miracle, and it would take a miracle, to have as your guest preacher this morning the Apostle John, not Danny Aiken, John. Now, I have a question. You won't hurt my feelings. I I, I want audience participation on this one. The only time I'll do it, because I hate doing that stuff. How many of you think if the Apostle John were the pulpit guest today, There'd be more people than are here right now. Would you please raise your hand? No, I'll put both hands up. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> Fact of the matter is, we wouldn't be having church here today. Uh, we might have tried to get Southeast Christian to let us have their big auditorium, but that wouldn't have been big enough. Oh, no, no, no. We could have gone downtown to the, what's it called, the Yum Yum Center or the something, <laughs> something like that. It's the weirdest name for something I've ever heard in my life. But, no, that wouldn't be big enough either. 
We, we would have to go out to one of the football stadiums, and even then, I assure you, that place would be packed to the gills because who would not want to hear something from the Apostle John? I've got an answer for you, Diotrephes. He wouldn't be there. Diotrephes was so full of himself and so arrogant, he would say, John's a has-been. Isn't he in a nursing home by now? I mean, he's yesterday's news. We don't need him. We don't want him. And he would not submit to proper authority. Thirdly, he also did not mind lying to further his agenda. He says there in verse 10, so if I come and the idea is I am coming, I will bring up what he is doing. And what is he doing? He is talking wicked nonsense against us. He is lying maliciously about us. In other words, this kind of man doesn't mind lying to further his agenda. He doesn't mind misrepresenting people to get his way. And don't think that that can't happen in the church because it can. Don't think it can't happen in religious circles because it does. I watch it all the time. Because I do what I do, I I keep up with stuff on Twitter. I keep up a little bit with what's on Facebook. I I read certain blogs, and I watch people that do not mind misrepresenting others and lying about others to further their own agenda. They don't care. It doesn't bother them. Because they operate from this faulty perception and perspective that the end justifies the means. And so if I think I've got a good end, it doesn't matter how I get there. Brothers and sisters, don't you ever forget, God not only cares about the ends, he cares about the means. You do not honor God by trying to accomplish something good by doing it dishonestly and sinfully. And so here's a man who did not mind lying about others to further his agenda. But then fourthly, he was a bully. He was a bully who pushed other people around. It says in the last part of verse 10, and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers. He he will not let traveling missionaries into his home, but he won't stop there. He even stops those who want to. He doesn't even stop there. He evidently had enough influence and power that he could put them out of the church. He could have them excommunicated. Now, John doesn't answer a question that all of us want the answer to, but I think he does so for a good reason. We all want to know, well, who was this guy named Diotrephes? Was he the pastor? We don't know. Was he a deacon? We don't know. Was he a powerful family, uh, head of a powerful family? We don't know. We do know this, he had influence. He had influence. But I think the reason the Holy Spirit did not Move John to tell us exactly who he was because he wants us to understand a diotrephes can be a pastor. A diotrephes can be a deacon. A diotrephes can be, I'll make it plural, a powerful family in the church that has the ability to sway others to their agenda. Those of you that are seminary students here will find this hilarious. A.T. Robertson, probably the greatest Greek professor that uh, really in in the English-speaking world, taught at Southern Seminary for several decades. In the 1920s, when he was still alive, A.T. Robertson was asked to write an article for the Baptist State paper in Kentucky called the Western Recorder. He was asked to write a short article on diatrophies, and so he did. About a month later, he received uh, information from the editor of the state paper 
that as a result of his article on Diotrephes, 25 deacons across Kentucky had resigned their subscription to the paper because they had been personally attacked by A.T. Robertson in his article on Diotrephes. It's hilarious. He never mentioned anybody by name. He never said Deacon Smith or Deacon Jones or Deacon Aiken. He just wrote an article about Diotrephes and 25 deacons said, he's picking on me, he's talking about me. Well, here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Throw a rock in a pack of dogs, and the one that yelps is usually the one that got hit. (laughs) So if you're here this morning, and all of a sudden you're kind of not thinking very nice thoughts about me because of what I've just done in the last two verses, your problem is not with me because I'm just teaching God's Word. Your problem may be with yourself because you have the attitude and the disposition and the spirit of diatrophies. And I'll tell you one thing. If a diatrophies can get control and have his way, he will kill the great commission spirit of a church because he has an anti-great commission agenda. So here's Gaius, a man with the right balance. Here's diatrophies, a man with a harmful agenda. And then finally, and I'll be quick, here is a man named Demetrius, a man with a good testimony. Look at what it says there in verse 11. Beloved, dear friends, Do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Interestingly, that phrase, do not imitate, is the only imperative in this book. It is a word of command. Furthermore, we get our English word mimic from it. Do not imitate, do not mimic evil, but imitate or mimic what is good. Now, why does he say that? Because he recognizes that even as evil and wicked as a man like Diotrephes is, he can be persuasive. He can cause people to want to look up to him and want to be like him. You see, listen to me. All of us have heroes. We all do. All of us have people that that are role models to us, people that we look up to. And so John wants us to make sure that we look up to the right people and we mimic and imitate the right people and not the wrong people, recognizing that sometimes the wrong people can be very attractive. And so do not... Imitate or mimic evil. Imitate, mimic that which is good. Why? Very simple theological principle. Whoever does good, and the idea is whoever lives a good life as an overflow of the gospel, whoever does good, well, they're from God. And whoever has a life that's characterized by evil, they give evidence that they have not even seen God. Was Diotrephes a Christian? I think if the Apostle John were here, he would say, I don't know. Only God knows the heart. But I can say this much. He doesn't act like a Christian. Is he a Christian? I don't know. Only God knows the heart. I can say this. He doesn't act like a Christian. But there was a man that did act like a Christian, and his name is Demetrius. Demetrius. He has received a good testimony, and his good testimony comes from a threefold source. Number one, it comes from everyone. Wow. Number two, it comes from the truth itself. He walks in the truth just like Gaius does. And number three, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Let me close on one phrase. He has a good testimony from everyone. That statement just amazes me. Question, John. Did everybody follow Demetrius is Jesus? No. 
Did everyone have the worldview of Demetrius? No. Did everyone love the Bible like Demetrius? No. And yet, even lost people would say of Demetrius, he's a man of integrity. Even lost people would say of Demetrius, he's a man of character. Even people that did not love or follow the Lord Jesus would say, you know what? If Demetrius was my next door neighbor, that would not bother me. In fact, Demetrius was the kind of man that if you had a crisis at 2 o'clock in the morning and you called him, first of all, he'd be the first person you would call, and secondly, he would be there in no time at all because he was that kind of man. Even lost people recognized that. You say, have you known many people like that? I've known a few. One was my grandfather. My grandfather, my granddaddy Galloway, my mother's father. He had a fifth grade education, had a very hard life, suffered from severe rheumatoid arthritis most of his latter life. He was a farmer in Douglasville, Georgia. And even for a short time, he was the janitor of the church. So fifth grade educated, simple farmer, poor farmer, and a church janitor. And yet I can proudly say to you all this uh, morning that I do what I do today because of the influence and impact of my granddaddy. He's so massively impacted my life. He died when I was 14. I wonder many times, does he know how he influenced his grandson? But I can tell you this, my granddaddy had been dead more than a decade and I got invited to speak one time at the Victory Baptist, a little country church, they run 100, Victory Baptist Church in Doesville, Georgia. And just before I got up to preach, the pastor stepped up to the pulpit and he said, this is almost verbatim, he said, we are very honored this morning to have as our preacher today, Charlie Galloway's grandson. Oh, his name is Danny Aiken. That's how he introduced me. And then he did this. He said, how many of you people, how many of you here remember Charlie Galloway? And amazingly, most of the hands in that little country church went up. And then he said, wasn't Charlie Galloway a man of God? Charlie Galloway was the man that you could depend upon when you were in a crisis. Charlie Galloway was the man that was always there for you when you needed him. And so we're going to have his grandson preach to us today. Now think about that. When you've been dead for a decade, what will people say about you? Will they even remember who you were? I mean, that's pretty convicting. And yet, like Demetrius, I had a granddaddy that people still remembered a decade after he'd gone to be with the Lord. I don't want to embarrass him, but I want to tell you something you have a pastor like Demetrius, you do. And all of my life, as my boys were growing up, they're now all in their 30s, but when they were growing up, I was always looking for men that I could point my sons to as a role model and say, look, guys, watch that man very carefully. Watch that man and and watch how he loves his wife. Watch that man and watch how he loves his children. Watch that man and watch how he loves the Lord Jesus and how he loves the Bible and how he loves the Word of God and how he loves lost people. And you know what? If you grow up to be a lot like that man, you'll make your dad very happy. And you will also honor the Lord Jesus. And I say to you all this morning, your pastor was one of those men that I could point my sons to and say, there's a, a role model for you to follow. Go and be just like him. But Demetrius, Gaius, Bill Cook would say to you, any good that you see in me is because of him. Any good that you see in my life is because of Jesus.
So this morning, I just encourage you, do a little self-examination. Gaius, Diotrephes, Demetrius. Do you look like any of the three? Now let's just ask it this way. Does your life bring praise to the name of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this little book with such a powerful message. It's a wonderful book that challenges us to consider our reputation before a watching world. It's a little book that challenges us to reflect upon whether or not we are for you or against you in fulfilling the Great Commission. And I thank you so much for examples like Gaius and like Demetrius, like Charlie Galloway, like Bill Cook, and like many others here that I know well and love and respect for their walk with you. And Lord, I want to be like those good men, not like that evil one. Most of all, Lord, I want to be like you. And I do want to have a life that brings praise to the name of Jesus, that even those who may not like me or like my agenda or believe what I believe, they would at least have to admit he's a man of integrity. He's a man of character. He is a man who really does want to be like Jesus. We can all be satisfied with that. What a great testimony for any one of us to bear. May it be true because we indeed know you and we stick so closely to you. And I ask and pray this in your saving name, Lord Jesus. Amen.